Easter 2019. Couple of things I want to say first before we get to the message about our church. Two weeks ago, we did our Above and Beyond campaign first fruits offering, and you guys nailed it. It was unbelievable. We took that offering at the end of our service. Now you'll notice that we haven't taken our offering yet this service. And the reason why is because that offering at the end of that service was so great, we realized that we were taking the offering at the wrong time in the service. (laughs) So we're going to ride that horse until it dies. (laughs) We haven't forgot offering. It's just saved until the end today. But um, we did take that offering, and our goal, project goal, is $600,000. Glad to tell you today that we are already over halfway to that finished goal. We are writing a check this week for $36,000 for Hope of Life in Guatemala. That's the first 10th, praise God, to foreign missions. And then uh, those of you who made commitments, if you stick to that commitment, we will cross that $600,000 board uh, uh, barrier. Now, in three weeks, already the plans are already ready to go. Uh, three weeks, we get a new roof. So praise be to Jesus. We don't have to worry about leaks anymore. Amen. I was telling the church all this uh, campaign that if you appreciated the winter, the snow level was very light this year. I don't know if you noticed that. Very light snow. The reason why, the sole reason why was because the Lord knew that our roof could not handle it. (laughs) So bad news for next winter where (laughs) we might get nailed. I don't know. Hopefully not. But anyway, uh, that's happened. So secondly, I want to talk about something with you online audience, and that is that Waters Church is coming to a community near you. Here's what we're doing. We are starting eFam groups, eFam groups. These are, called, these are small groups on location where you are. So if you watch Waters Church every week, and we have people all over the country, all over the world, that watch our services every week, we're going to start small groups where you live, and we want you to be part of it. So if you're interested in being an eFam small group leader, where you will gather together after you watch the message sometime during the week and do what we do with our local small groups, we want you to tell us that you'd love to be a part of it. Do it right now in the chat, or email us at info at waterschurch.org, or through our contact page online. Now, we have been trying to tell you uh, eFam community. We've been trying to tell you who watch us online all over the world. Uh, go get yourself a, a church. Go get yourself a, a local church where you can sink into that church and have a small group there. But you wouldn't listen. You just love us that much. Turns out they love the beard. That's what actually they love the most. Well, anyway, I appreciate that. But we're not going to fight you anymore. Since you, decide, since you want to watch us every week, we're glad about that. We're bringing Waters Church to you, and you will have a small group community where you are. Let us know if you want to be a leader. How how many think that we should just leverage technology instead of fight technology for the glory of the name of Jesus? So that's what's happening now. The rule is that you have to live more than 25 miles away from one of our campuses. So you can't be like down the street here and too lazy to come to church. 25 miles away or more, let us know if you'd like to be a part of that. So that's all the announcements today. Let's get down to business. How's your heart? Everybody just lift up your hand with that wristband for a moment. I know you might not be, you might not be comfortable to do this in church, but that's why we gave you the wristband, so that you have a reason to do it. Believe it or not, right now, we are stealing your identity. <laughs> 
We have your account numbers, your social security card. Just kidding. You know what this is called? This is called Mark of the Beast Repellent right here. Be glad you came to Waters Church. This is our gift to you, by the way. You can keep this wristband after this service. Have you ever thought about the condition of your heart? It beats when you don't realize it, when you're sleeping, when you're working, when you're playing. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what you're doing, there is a ticking clock that won't stop until one day it comes to an end. And my question to you is, how's your heart? We don't pay much attention to our heart. We don't pay enough attention to it. Physically speaking, the heart is the most important muscle in our body. Every day your heart will beat 115,000 times. 115,000 times. Over the course of your life, three billion times. Today your heart will pump 2,500 gallons of blood through your body. Over the course of a lifetime, 42 million gallons of blood. If you live to about 75 to 80. Your heart is the strongest muscle in your body. It pumps 2,500 gallons of blood through your body, through 60,000, check this out, miles of veins and arteries every single day. It's got to be strong. They've actually done research about this. Uh, the average human heart is stronger than a marathon sprinter's leg muscles. That's how important your heart is. It's a pretty big deal. How's your heart? The title of my message today is Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Because Jesus came to do something about your heart condition. And he knows who you are, and he knows where you are, and you might have hid from him your whole life up until this very moment. Maybe somebody begged you to come to church today, and because it was Easter, and you felt a little bit more guilty about skipping this weekend than regular weekends, you came. Welcome, we're so glad you're here, but I want you to know you're not here by accident. The God of the universe wants your heart. Now, here's how I know that, because when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he was having dinner with his disciples. We Christians call this the Last Supper. And still to this day, 2,000 years ago, we celebrate that meal We've, we've whittled it down to a little small piece of bread and a little cup of juice. But when Jesus was having dinner with those disciples that night, he was having the Passover Seder, the Passover meal, and he was celebrating the original deliverance from bondage for the ancient Israelites. They came out of Egypt through the sacrifice of a lamb whose blood was put on the doorposts and lintels of their homes as they sat together and feasted in their homes. The day angel of death went through the nation of Israel, Egypt and killed everybody who didn't have the blood applied to their door frames. But Jesus is celebrating that meal 
thousands of years later with his disciples, and he's going to tell them something shocking. He's going to tell them that it's no longer the blood of the lamb that, sell, that sets them free from physical enemies. No, from now on, it's my blood, Jesus says, that sets you free from spiritual enemies. And if you have my blood applied to your heart, you are free in my name. That's what we come here to celebrate. And he's having dinner, and he's telling the disciples, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm going to the cross, and all of you are going to leave me. And sadly, Peter, you're going to deny me. And they all say, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. We're with you, man, no matter what. And Jesus says, nope, sorry, not going to happen. You're all going to flee. And I'm going to die. Sinners are going to have their way with me. But then he says these words in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Oh, we believe in God. Jesus, we believe in God. We believe in God. Of course, we're Jews. We believe in God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. You believe in Yahweh. Guess what I want you to do right now? I want you, Jesus is saying to his disciples, to believe in me. And in this passage, in this short one verse, look at what Jesus does. He ties the emotional condition of our hearts to our faith in him. How's your heart? What's troubling you? You know, the number one problem, the number one cause of death in America today we have solved measles and mumps. We have solved polio. We have figured out how to manage bacterias and viruses. Almost all of them. It's amazing to see how many things we have solved. But there's one disease we can't stop. It's called heart disease. Heart disease is the number one killer of Americans to this day. 31% of every death in every year is due to heart disease. Across the world, 31% in America, about 25%. Now, the heart physically, I believe, is a picture of our heart spiritually, and the two are intertwined. And I love this because the Bible talks about this all the time. Like, the Bible mentions how what's going on in our spirits has an effect on what happens in our bodies. And the research is coming out now that proves what the scriptures have been talking about concerning our spiritual heart actually applies to our physical heart. And if you have a good spiritual heart, you will therefore have a good physical heart. The research is out there today. And it's important that you realize this because we spend a lot of time in our lives focusing on all the external realities of who we are. We go to the gym to work on our looks. We go to the gym and we pump our iron to get those showpiece muscles going on. I gotta do my squats so that my backside is firm. I gotta do my crunches so that I got my six pack. How many know at some point you realize a keg is much easier than a six pack? 
I gotta do my shrugs so I get the triangle look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. All these things that we do to fix the eyesight. And if we don't go to the gym, then we'll diet or, I don't know, run or whatever and get ourselves dressed up and our clothes on and makeup. Some of us go to the doctor for specialized makeup. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they stick you with a needle. They slice you and dice you and pull you and stretch you. You're like a big old tent, aren't you? Pulled back. You have a freckle. It used to be here. Now it's over here. Come on, somebody. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. <laughs> we focus so much on the outside, and we neglect the inside. And we're living in a generation where hearts need help. What's troubling you? Divorce, death, loved one loss, maybe physical health's got you anxious, your schoolwork, thinking about college, thinking about the payments for college, thinking about what you're gonna do after college. You got a kid that's giving you fits, you got a kid that's sick. You got a job that you hate? You got a boss that hates you? How many things can you think about in your life? If you, if you just sit down and talk about it for a moment, you just think out, meditate for a moment, how many things in your life are coming at your heart? You gotta watch out for this. Let not your hearts be troubled, disciples, Jesus said. Let not your hearts. Look, I know it's gonna look like the world around you collapses, but I got good news for you. If you put your faith in me, no matter what happens, the mountains can be tossed into the sea. If you've got your faith in me, you'll get through it. That's what Jesus said. And it still applies to us today. So heart disease, I just thought about that word disease, like dis-ease, two-part word, dis-ease. What has dis-eased your heart? How you feel right now? Research studies show that emotions directly affect your physical heart. Um, the number one day of the week where people have heart attacks is Monday. How many know it's because people don't want to go to work? <laughs> and the number one day in the year when people have heart attacks is Christmas Day. So I guess if Christmas falls on a Monday, you better watch it. <laughs> the second day on the list is the day after Christmas. That's because people are getting their credit card bills and saying, oh no. Or they're watching their kids who they paid thousands of dollars to play with their toys are not playing with the toy. They're playing with the stinking box that the toy came in. That'll give you a heart attack. And the third day on the list is New Year's Day. And I wonder if that's because instead of approaching the new year with positivity, they're weighed down with anxiety. How is your heart? How's this going for you? They've done a lot of studies to prove that if you can get your spirit right, your physical heart will follow. Research has shown that up to 80% of the time, anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness, think about that, anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness are the primary causes of heart disease, hypertension, and other major illnesses internally. In the UK, they found out that social isolation is killing them. The more alone we get, on our devices, with our, with our eye devices, eye devices, the more alone we get, the more susceptible we are to heart dis 
ease. In 2009, the Journal of Psychology, this is phenomenal. I didn't realize this was true. I, I had to double check this. In 2009, the Journal of Psychology and Health, uh, Journal of Psychology and Health found that when cardiac patients were treated for unforgiveness, in other words, they went to a therapist and worked out the issues of forgiveness. They had to forgive people. If they went through that therapy, they were two times as likely to recover in their physical heart capacity than people who had been given standardized medicine. How's your heart? Do not let your heart be troubled. The Bible says it. The Bible says this in Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine. I love it when science catches up to Scripture. <laughs> like, God's like, I wrote that down thousands of years ago. <laughs> Give you a joyful heart moment today. I heard about a story with a guy working. He was married to a woman. They were married many years. He was at work. He felt chest pains. He says, honey, I got to go to the doctor. She drove him to the doctor. The doctor ran through all the tests, the EKGs, all the tests, the litmus tests, all those kind of things, and a litany of tests. And he brings them through, and he says, listen, I got bad news for you. He sits the wife and, and husband down. He says to the husband, I got bad news for you. You got three weeks to live. Your heart is in bad shape. And then he says, I need you to leave the room so that I can talk to your wife. And so he does. And the doctor says, you know, I'm not one of those average doctors. I've got some different therapies that I run through with heart patients. And I have found that if you do what I'm about to tell you, your husband has a 95% chance of a full recovery. She says, what is it, doctor? He says, your husband has heart disease because of stress. So you need to go home and create an absolute stress-free life for him. Here's the alternative therapy I'm giving you. It's all up to you. You go home and you shower him with affection. And you make him his favorite breakfast every morning. A gourmet lunch every afternoon. And something wonderful for dinner. You tell him how handsome he is. You tell him how wonderful of a husband he is. When he asks for sex, you give it on demand. Don't complain, don't nag, don't harass him. Your job is to create an absolute stress-free environment. And if you do this for 6 to 12 months, I almost guarantee your husband will make a full recovery. She says, thank you, doctor. And she gets up and she leaves the office and she gets in the car with her husband and he says, what did the doctor tell you? And she said, you're going to die. <laughs> a joyful heart is good medicine. Amen, somebody. <laughs> What's the purpose of your heart? Well, according to scripture, the purpose of your heart is the seat of your intellect. Proverbs 14, says, wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding. Your intellect comes from your heart. I know it's up here and here, but it's also tied to what's going on internally. The Bible says the purpose of the heart is the source of our thoughts. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 800 times the Bible talks about the heart, but 200 of those 800 times is actually talking about our thoughts. Just hold on to that for a moment because it's going to apply in just a second. The purpose of our heart, the Bible says, is the center of our emotions. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. And 
Finally, the heart is the determiner of our will. What we want is in our heart. Blessed are those, Psalm 84 says, whose hearts are set on the highways toward Zion. Your heart will determine where you go in life. How's your heart? This is why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart, say the next three words, everybody, with all vigilance. The, the Hebrew is literally keep your heart and above all keeping your heart. But we don't like to say it like that in English, so we translate it with all vigilance. But the point is that the Bible is saying above everything else that you do in your life, keep your heart. Why? Because it from it flows the springs of life. Your heart is the most important part of you, and you've got to keep it. The word keep in Hebrew means guard it, protect it. And, and the implication of the word guard here is protect your heart from what's trying to get in your heart. Protect your heart from what's trying to get in. So you got, you got some problems with your heart, is what the Bible's saying. The first thing is you've got external assault. That's your first problem. There are things that are going to try to get into your heart. You don't even realize it. Bible, the Bible doesn't say, but we say it. The eyes are the windows of the soul. The eyes are the windows of the heart. What are you putting in front of your eyes? What are you putting into your ears? What are you letting get in? Because it's just a little thing that can get in, and then before you know it, your heart starts beating a little more stressfully, a little bit more tenuously. What you let get into your spirit can affect you. I go to the gym to relieve my stress. Anybody with me? I love it. It just makes me relax. My wife, whenever we're in, I'm ornery. She says, just go to the gym. And so I go, and I get on the treadmill, and I'm running. But the, but the fools at the gym have put in front of the treadmill two television sets with news. The, Netwick, the Nitwit News Networks are up there telling me about all the things in the world that will never touch me, but now I get to worry about it. And they tell me everything, everything is breaking news. Remember when breaking news used to actually be something? Now it's everything. Breaking news. Kim Kardashian got a new outfit. Okay, that's not breaking news. I'm like, a, I'm on the treadmill and stress is going out of me and coming into me at the same time. Guard your heart. What are you letting your thoughts be? What are you putting in front of your eyes? Today we have portals, little windows, little screens with portals that give us unlimited information. Stuff that we don't really need to know. Stuff that used to, we just didn't know. Now we do know, so we get to worry some more. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that's why Paul says this. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. What's trying, what's, what's coming against you? What, what, what's, the, what's the power of the enemy trying to come against in your life? Your knowledge of God. Because the enemy knows that if you know God, you will be stronger in God. If you know he holds you in the palm of his hand, and no one can pluck you out of the palm of his hand, 
you will have peace. So the enemy tries to come in and say, that's not true. There are so many things. There are so many wars. There are so many problems. There are so many politicians that are going to take you and wreck you, and you better worry about this. And this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy your knowledge of the God in heaven who loves you. And the cross stands in human history 2,000 years ago as a testimony to the God that we serve, that he is willing to do whatever it takes to save you. I'm willing to save, I'm willing to put my son on a bloody cross so that you can know that I love you with an everlasting love. The enemy comes with thoughts to take that out. So you gotta take captive, Paul says. You gotta take those thoughts captive to Christ because they'll try to take you captive to the world. I love the New Living Translation of Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. Now the ironic thing about Proverbs 4 is it's written by a man named Solomon. Who was Solomon? Solomon was King David's son. And he was the wisest man that ever lived. We know a little bit about this, right? Even if you have a cursory knowledge of the Bible, you've heard of Solomon the wise. And he's writing the Proverbs. And for the first, check this out, for the first six chapters of Proverbs, Solomon is writing a personal manifesto for how his son can succeed in life. That's really what the first six chapters of Proverbs are. And he's going to spend chapters 5 and 6 after he says to his son in chapter 4, guard your heart. After he says, guard your heart, son, he's going to spend chapters 5 and 6 talking about watch out for women who will tear your heart away from God. Now Solomon wrote it. And the ironic thing is, he couldn't do it. Because guess what? Solomon rejected his own advice. And his life ended with his heart far from God. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, very sad verse. In Solomon's old age, his many wives. How many wives did he have? 700. How many know two wives isn't good for your heart? Dude had 700. And 300 concubines. Like, after a while, don't the names, like, start getting repeated? Hey, Cindy, number 24. Meet me in bedroom 476 tonight. It's your lucky day. Like, right, you know? But in his old age, put put the verse back up. In his old age, look what it says. His many wives turned his, what? Heart. To worship other gods. The man who said, guard your heart, couldn't guard his heart. Why? Because of the second problem of the heart. Not only external assault, but internal rot. It's not always somebody else's fault for what's happening in your heart. I hope you heard that. It's not always somebody else's fault for how you feel. Your heart's messed up from within. The very first thing the Bible says about the heart is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This was a bad time in human history. And it says that God saw the wickedness of man was very great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What? 
This is how the flood, this is why the flood comes and wipes them out and Noah and his family are saved by God's grace. It's the heart of man. That's the problem with man. Hundreds of years later, Jeremiah will say the very same thing. He will say in chapter 17, verse six, the heart, or verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, let me say it in layman's terms. Your heart lies to you more than anybody else. This is why I get so infuriated by this culture of follow your heart. Are you crazy? Follow the thing inside of you that's lying to you the most? How many young people say, oh, I just feel this way. I just feel it. So what? Sometimes I don't feel like getting out of bed. I have to come over the feelings and get into activity. And sometimes we are so guilty of falling into this trend ourselves. Oh, I just don't feel love for him anymore. So I'll get a divorce. What? You know, one of the rules that we set out for our married couples, the people who want to get married in our churches, no writing your own vows. No writing your own vows, you Ed Sheeran fans. <laughs> Knock it off. Because I, I have found out when they want to write their own vows, all they want to do is write about their feelings. You make me feel like my life has finally come complete. Your love plunges to the depths of the volcano of my existence. And squelches the hot molten lava that is trying to wreck me from the inside. Like, shh, what? That is not a promise. That is not a vow. That is not, that is not a, an oath. That is a feeling. And your feelings, I just want you to get this today. Your feelings are the most deceptive part of you. This is why Jesus will say, I am the truth. And if you know the truth, me, if you know me, the truth will set you free. Some of you are locked up in prison because of your feelings. And Jesus, the eternal truth, the God who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, wants to come into your heart and give you rock-solid bedrock truth to make you stand strong and firm through the course of your life so that no matter what comes at you, what hits you, you don't falter because you know the truth. Your heart is deceptive. Mark chapter 7, Jesus says it, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. We like to think it's the technology, but the technology is thus the fruit of other people's hearts. Us, the movies. No, the movies are just the expose of the evil in men's hearts. That's the music, it's the rock music, pastors, the rock music. And not, rock music is just the expression of what's already in men's hearts. The reason why we resonate so well with rock music and depressing music is because inside our hearts are saying the same thing to us and they're lying to us, trying to destroy us, evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from where? Within. It's not about what, you, what gets into you only. It's about what comes from you. Bertrand Russell, not a Christian, an atheist, philosopher. He said this, it's in our hearts that the evil lies and it's from our hearts it must be plucked out. Not a Christian, but he agrees with what Jesus said. 
Albert Einstein, also not a Christian, said, it's easier to denature plutonium than the evil spirit of man's hearts. Even non-Christians get it. I'm trying to tell you one fundamental thing about you. The heart of our problem is the problem of our heart. It's not everybody else and what they did to you. It's not. Because everybody else around you is broken and their heart's messed up and they're going to do what they do. And so you need to realize that there's something underneath all that that's wrong and tainted and twisted. King David, who had a heart after God's own heart, at one point he slept with another man's wife and then conspired to put that man to death so that he could take his wife. And he said in his cry to God after he was found out, he said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Psalm 51. In sin did my mother conceive me. And in verse 10, what does he say? Created me a clean heart. Oh, I love that from David because he's like, my heart is dirty, God. That's why I did that stuff. I can't believe I did it, but my heart's dirty. Create. God is the creator. Only God could create a clean heart. Only God can change you from the inside out. And you say, I'm a Christian and I still do some stuff that's jacked up. Yes, because your heart doesn't just get saved temporally at the moment you come to Christ. It gets renewed for the rest of your life until Jesus comes. This is why Paul will say in the New Testament, I thank God he said it. In Romans 7, verse 14, I am sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. Oh, thank you, God, for Paul, who was honest. I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Anybody resonate with Paul right here? Verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Bingo. I can't change your heart, and you can't change your heart. Jesus changes your heart. That's it. And that's why we come together, and that's why we're here on Easter, and that's why we come to church. Have you ever gone to a church where the people in the church were bad? <laughs> like some of you avoid church like the plague because you, oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. That's just a bunch of people. They claim to be so holy. No, they don't. Not if they're under honest Christians. Honest Christians know that they rot. They stink. They hurt people. They do stupid crap all the time. And the reason why they're in church is because they know they need healing from the inside out. That's why we come. Because we don't have the medicine in ourselves. we got to go to the doctor. And Jesus is the good physician who heals you from the inside out. And that's why he says in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but believe also in me. I believe in God. So what? It's not about belief in a general idea of God because I have found that the God that people generally believe in is a God that looks just like them. Hello. <laughs> this is the uncomfortable portion of the sermon. You ever notice that the God that you believe in is okay with your sin but hates everybody else's? 
You ever notice that? You ever, you ever notice how quick the God that you believe in is quick to forgive you for your wrongdoings, but gives you lifelong licenses to hold on to the grievances of other people's hurts against you? Oh, am I preaching on Easter Sunday, or are you just sitting there getting hammered right here? <laughs> Jesus is the absolute perfect representation of the God of the universe. And this is why when you have a general conversation with someone outside of church about God, the conversation goes swimmingly until you mention Jesus. Because Jesus is fixed, you see. Jesus is fixed. He's a person. He lived. He's here. He's real. And he is the exact image and reflection. He is God in human form. And that's why we reject him because of our sin. And we run from him because we are ashamed of what we have done against him. And even if we try to deny him, we know, we know he's the truth. And that's why we run. But this is the good news of the gospel. He's the God who doesn't let us run. He runs after us and comes and gets us and he finds us. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep he's the seeker of men's hearts and he's come after you today that's why I told you in the beginning that you're not here by accident the God who made you is coming after you let not your hearts be troubled Jesus is the solution to a troubled heart he'll fix what's wrong in here he says to the disciples, in my father's house are many rooms, and I have a place for you, and I'm going to prepare it, and I'm going to make a way for you to get to heaven, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to myself, and where I am, you will be. This is the gospel. Jesus went to the cross. He went into the grave. He came out of the grave three days later, and he went up into heaven, and right now, right now, he's gathering the nations through his gospel of grace from every tribe, every tongue, every political party, and every affiliation. He's gathering people. He's saving Republicans <laughs> and Democrats and capitalists and socialists and communists and atheists. He's bringing them all out, and he's saving them and changing their hearts and making them one eternal family by his eternal grace. And no one gets to heaven without Jesus. When I preach Jesus, something happens in this place. Hearts are changed. Why? Because that's the power of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You confess Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, your heart will be changed. And what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm coming to do something that's going to change you from the inside out. Do you realize that it was prophesied about hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up? A guy named Ezekiel said these famous words in chapter 11, verse 19 of his great book in the Bible. God's promise to his people. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk they may get that ability to do what I want them to do and they shall be my people and I will be their God here's your problem right here 
Some of you came in with this today. And we try to clean it up, wash it, protect it. And some of you, it's rock hard. It's like seriously rock hard. And it's gotten that way because of how much people have done to you. I'm not opening my heart again. They hurt me. I'm not doing that again. I'm never getting married again. No way. Uh Uh-uh. So I'm just going to seal that sucker up. And this is how you're going through life. Guess what? You're a walking dead person. Because if this isn't right, it doesn't matter what's out here. What God has come to do in Christ Jesus, what did he say? I'm going to take this out. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you something that I can work with. Something that will direct the course of your life in positive directions, in the pathway of hope and not despair, in the pathway of peace and not unrest, in the pathway of joy and not sadness. St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. It was January 12th in 2007. A violinist walked into a subway station in downtown Washington, D.C. He opened his violin case, he pulled out his violin, and he started to play. And he put a couple dollars in the case. And for the next 43 minutes on that early Friday morning in Washington, D.C., he played six of the greatest classical violin songs in history. A free concert. And nobody paid attention. Everybody busy with their lives. Everybody running this way and that. And what they didn't realize was they were missing greatness. The violinist that day was no ordinary street musician. It was the Joshua Bell, the world's most acclaimed violinist who just three days later had packed out Boston Symphony Hall where the cheapest ticket was $100 a piece. And the day after this, he played in Bethesda, Maryland to a standing room only audience where people were so in respect of his talent that they hushed their coughs until the conclusion of the performance. And the violin wasn't the problem. He was playing a violin that was 300 years old, handcrafted, by the Italian master Antonio Stradivarius. The violin cost $3.5 million. The pieces that he played were classics, adored by those who know the music genre well. And the musician that day was a virtuoso who was virtually ignored by everyone too busy to pay attention. Around the corner, up the escalator, there was a line at a counter where people were trying to buy Powerball tickets. They lined up for the get-rich-quick scheme that the government loves, by the way, to get more taxes from you. Lined up for the hope of an immediate payday, and they were missing greatness. And I say, I share this story. You know why I share this story? Because the subway system of a city is like the artery system of your body. 
and your heart is beating right now, rushing that blood so that you can get out there and get out here and leave the service and get to Easter dinner. All that stuff that you're so worried about, all those things that you're so amped up about, but if you're not careful, you've got to realize something. The scripture says that Jesus Christ, the virtuoso of history, is standing at the door of your heart, and he's playing the melody of his grace. And the question is, will you open your heart to him before your heart stops? That's the question that I have for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus.